0: Hello, and welcome to the Three Wise DMs Podcast, where three Dungeon Masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about how we handle all the tricky ins and outs of running a game of D&D or whatever else you might play. Today, me, Tony, and Dave are planning to take on one of the trickier topics for, I think, any Dungeon Master what makes a good player and what makes a player that's maybe a little more problematic for you and, and you have a harder time handling or, or creates problems for the game. Now, it's tricky because I don't think any of us wants to put this directly on the player, but there's still I do. I there really we go, want Dave. I Dave want point to point
1: fingers. It's your problem, listener. You are <laughs> the problem.
0: <laughs> you know, I don't think I would necessarily say it's all the player's fault, but you know, it's, it's tricky and creates a lot of these kind of off-book kind of problems that we're really here to talk about. So... Why don't we get things started by saying, you know, maybe let's start the positive way. What makes a really good player? when do you guys want to kick off with that? Uh, a positive
2: player. I don't need the player at the table who is the most experienced, has the greatest understanding of the rules, has gone through all the books, looked at all the monsters. In fact, in some respects, that's kind of productive because then I bring out my monster and they're like, is it this variety, this variety, or this variety? And I'm like, crap, I didn't <laughs> even know about that variety. What are you doing? You're level two. Stop metagaming. I want someone who comes to the table who is on the team. They got dressed. They put their uniform on. They showed up and they want to play ball. That to me is my ideal player.
0: Dave? No no, no shoes, no dice, no service.
1: For listeners, right. uh, DM Tony definitely makes you dress up in character. So when he said that, like he's very real. I've had to dress up several times in an ascot And uh, yeah, it's it gets awkward at times, but
0: for the uh, record, DM Dave needs no encouragement to put on an ascot. (laughs) It's very true.
1: I have multiple (laughs) pictures of me in varying costumes over the years, different (laughs) Comic Cons and such. I
2: I really liked your uh, cape for Ravenloft. That was fantastic.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, that was that was just my terry cloth bathrobe, but not everybody can pull that off. When you put it behind a candelabra, it really sets the mood on roll twenty um sorry no, so big, I, yeah yeah i think that i i agree with you guys and i think we're probably going to be saying a lot of the same thing is that the good player uh, uh or whatever we want to call it uh positive player uh because thorne you had shared uh we were just kicking around and you shared to our text thread about uh matt colville's video about what makes a good player mm-hmm. you know and he went as simple as like a person that brings a pencil and a set of dice. And like he just and what it really broke down to, I think, was a person who's invested in spending, you know, multiple hours pursuing a hobby, you know, mm-hmm. and being at the table and ready. Doesn't mean, like Tony said, doesn't mean knowing all the rules, doesn't mean all of that. Just ready to have some fun and invested in the time, not you know, on their phone and on those types of things.
0: Or falling asleep. Which uh, I think all of us have had players occasionally do. In fact, I remember a friend of mine was running a, running a game on Roll Twenty. It was late for me. Like they were in Alabama, so like we were starting at like ten thirty, and I had been working, and it was like on a weeknight, so I had been working. Yeah, I had a long commute and coming home from work and getting in it. And there were several times I fell asleep during that game, and I felt <laughs> terrible. I'm like I'm one of the wow. DMs, like, I'm, I'm someone who's encouraging them to do it, I'm trying to push them and mentor them, and here I am at like eleven thirty on a wow. Friday night. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's maybe you know. maybe we should cut that on, on the final take. <laughs>
1: hard, man, that would be hard. I yeah. wish some players were asleep at times. <laughs> Honest to God,
2: yeah. Please have some wine or a beer or three.
0: So, actually, that's why for me, my my drink of choice when the game is always coffee. Actually, I mean, I not that I, I like a good whiskey, a good wine, but coffee is usually what I'm drinking when I'm when I'm playing, iced coffee or or, or hot coffee. Like it's really because yeah. I want to be there. I'm not looking to be kind of like 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 numb and sleepy. funny you bring that up you played my one campaign over my my other house
2: and the drinks were very freely passed around that table and I wasn't really drinking, but everybody else was laying into the hooch pretty hard and the decisions would reflect that throughout the evening where it's like all right, we're starting to be a little conservative. we're starting like normal mode and you know, six drinks, seven, eight drinks into this. Like, you know, they're like, oh, there's a dragon. We're going in. Plan, I've already walked in this cave. This is happening.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that could, we might find that that is, that is closely related to some of the problems we talk about here today. Where won't be. Yeah, like in your real life, perhaps the drinking is closely related to the issues. Um, You know, for me, for as far as what makes a good player for me, I want a couple things. Um, It's great to have someone at the table who knows the rules and can help me with that, because I I know the rules pretty well, but it's always nice to have someone who can look up the thing you don't know. Um, But in general, from all my players, what I really want is a sense that they're, you know, I want them to be a game for I want them to be up for what we're doing. I want them to be to, to be willing to go with whatever happens in the story. Um, there's nothing more frustrating as a dungeon master than kind of you're having a, you're, you're you're telling the story, you're telling the story or you're giving them the chance to define the story. And then you find, and then like you kind of start getting feedback on what the story is. <laughs> it is like all of a sudden it's now, now we're trying to deal with story issues outside a game instead of with your character in the game, which is what's supposed to happen. So I really want someone, I want a player who's invested in their character and invested in what we're doing not so sort of the story, but the act of role-playing enough that they're going to take what I give them and yes, and it, and, and, you know, the old improv saying yes, and it improv, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the other person passes you, you say yes. And, and then you add to it. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in a player. So, you know, I love to have some players who know the rules. New players are great too. Yeah. I like to mix them up a little bit. Uh, you definitely want someone who can handle their own character. and knows their own powers. There's, you know, it's, it can be, it's, it's hard as a DM to have to tell your players what their powers do, uh, and that's kind of a prep thing. Kind of goes to some of the things Tony was talking about. And I want, and I want a good attitude to the game. You know, I want a good attitude, and and an attitude that they're going to engage with the story we're telling, with the environment, that they're going to think of what were their character do and come up with things. And there's enthusiasm there. You know, I'm kind of at a point where I don't really ever want to DM with players anymore who are like, well you know, maybe I want to play, maybe I don't. Like, they're doing you as a DM a favor for playing. I want to play with players who are looking to play, and you just have to bring them a game, and they're bringing the enthusiasm.
1: I think your last point there, Thorne, was the the most important one in that, whatever we want to call it, enthusiasm, investment in the game, whatever, because that will cover the gamut from the player that literally has never played a tabletop RPG in their entire life, to the grognard who's been playing since, the white box, right? If you are invested in the game, if you if you care about it, it will matter. Even if you have to look up powers and skills and all of these things, because you you care about the story and you will do the yes and. You'll jump into yeah. that. As opposed to like when Tony says that, you know, uh, they got the haunted keep out in the forest. Are you ready to go? Well, I'm thinking of going shopping, you know? How well, would my character want to
0: do that? I'm evil. I just want to hide behind the party and steal their stuff. (laughs) Oh, so many good
2: memories. A good player certainly wants to be along with your story. But I've seen a player, just one player, turn the whole environment of the table around. You get a guy in there or, uh, you know, any type of player who has the experience and can really generate and put some mood out there. And then all of a sudden, everything shifts. And then you go from like a normal game to something that's really clicking out. It's kind of like a cast of a story that that one key actor now arrives and it gels. So what do they do that makes that happen? You need a combination of understanding what your character can do, how the environment works, and then being a decent character actor with fits into the continuity of the story. They now are going to help you. They're going to be your best friend in this game because they're going to help you drive your story and take it. Right down the field.
1: Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and I can agree with you. I think that's where it gets in for a lot of people. It becomes uh, very disheartening uh, for a lot of DMs because they see a lot of story based stuff, especially with a lot of the live play. Um, a perfect example, I bring it up all the time, but Critical Role. People are always comparing. I want a game like that. I want a DM like Matt Mercer. I want to play. And I, my response is always like, fine, give me players who are all professional actors you know they're all (laughs) playing at the top of their game uh but that can be very disheartening for the dm that's just trying to create a story with his friends you know and throw something out there um because the rp of it the role playing aspect can be tough you know saying something in character especially with new players
0: yeah and you know that's actually that's a great point too because i've seen feedback where the dm gets you know the dm's trying to put voices together and the players are telling them all oh, the voices your voices are terrible the voices aren't good man i am doing this for you <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i've seen you do voices.
1: that before thorn where you're tr- you you start trying out some voices and i'm like that's awesome cuz for me I love voices, right? I'm doing all kinds of weirdo voices the whole game, uh, even animal voices, but i that's me. That's not everybody who's behind the screen. So I dig when I see other people go, oh, yeah, I
2: can do a voice too, <laughs> you know? I've given it a fair try uh, with extraordinarily mixed results. I have a different range. I can play the dramatic, deep-voiced villain. I can do that. Now, me sounding a little child, I sound like Herbert... From freaking Family Guy, where I'm like, "Hi, you want some candy?" Like it goes completely south. It's <laughs> oh, you're gonna. Classic. No, but the think,
1: rest of the podcast, you're saying it in that voice now. That's you know, what's happening.
0: But you know, in my robe. I've played with you, and I think you're at your best when you're doing the occasional voice. I mean, you do you do voices pretty good. Uh, because you, you really kind of you get into your you get into your NPCs where when you do the voice, you really kind of it seems like it really uh. Uh, you just seem like you're really in it and you kinda bring them to life a bit. I think that's I think that's always been a good part of your game. Well thank you. So which I guess brings us to, you know, we've talked a little bit about what we want on the positive side. Um maybe a little different. I definitely, you know, my DMing style is less story-based, more more more, more improv based more that I want the players to drive the story. One of these days we'll do a, we'll do at least an article, if not an episode about whose story is it anyway. Cause I, you know, there's a, there's the assumption it's the DM story. And I think I kind of push back a little bit because for me, I kind of feel like it's the player story. It's my world. Um, but that's a different thing. We'll get to that later, but it does mean I want my players to be a little more proactive. And even yeah. in our game, we have one player who doesn't understand the rules very well. Doesn't know his character. Great, but he's very into the story in the world. And I really like gaming with that guy. Cause he does get into it. And he does think about what would his character do. And he, he isn't metagaming. Um, so, so to me, that's a good thing, and I think the other. I think he might be a different player in other games because of the different attributes I'm looking for. But you know, so let's talk about like kind of what does cause a problem. Um, I think
1: we'll. I as I always do, I always preface everything, right, little disclaimers. But uh, I'll preface this by saying when we're talking good and difficult players, I think those labels are they're insufficient just like any label is uh because a lot of it has to do with what kind of dm are you what kind of game are you running and then what type of players do you have populating your table and that is going to change everything because if we mm-hmm. all swapped out games right now and i dm'd uh, the woodstock wanderers and thorne was running storm kings and tony was running Strad, it would run quite differently even with the same players Right. So, yeah, <clears throat> I think a lot of this has to do and maybe we'll dive into this uh, deeper in, in, in later episodes about types of players. But, yeah, I think all of this has some of it has to do with that. And then there's the difficult player. And I think we could probably <laughs> all agree on certain aspects that are
2: going to create that. So if I were to take over your Strahd game, I feel like it would dissolve into an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So nobody <laughs> wants that. <laughs> But um, for a difficult player, um, I have a category I want to use. Let's we'll call this person Pete. And uh, this is because Pete Holmes did a video where he was playing DD. He's a comedian. And it, it, was, a, oh, uh, yeah. it, it was a comedy. And this, I, I, I'm watching this, and I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, my God. like I, This is so horrifyingly relatable to games that I've been in. So he's playing d d in this scenario. And he's like, oh, I've never played. I'm so excited. And the DM's like, well, you can do whatever you want in this game, Pete. He's like, I'm going to do that. This is great. So he walks into a bar with his three friends They sit down this inn and this wizard comes over with an orb and he's like, I don't want this guy to come over like I move away. And they're like, we should talk to this wizard. They drag him back and he's like, OK. And then he's like, well, wait a minute. He just sits down. That's pretty rude. Doesn't he think we're having a fourth person sit with us? And that was really awkward, too. Uh. But no matter how he, the DM tried to move the story, Pete was deflecting it. And eventually, his party went off to um, face this ogre in the woods. And he stayed back in the bar. He's going through the menu. He's seeing what's for dinner. He's trying to get laid. Meanwhile, his party gets TPK'd without him. <laughs> they all leave pissed off. And I'm like, wow, this absolutely could have went one of my real games. So don't be a Pete. That's my idea of a problem player.
0: Someone who does just totally, I think he, the, the words you used there was deflects the story.
2: Yeah. Forget, I want you to go right and you're going left. This guy was going nowhere. Or he went down.
0: Finding excuses not to adventure. Yeah. Well, no, he was being, yeah. they said,
2: why don't we do something more adventurous than order for the menu? He's like, fine, fine. No mutton. I'll try eggplants. <laughs> the dm's like it's like 1100 ad there's no
1: eggplant here but (laughs) so what is it i think it boils down to uh with that so we kind of we 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 talked about enthusiasm and just being invested in making uh for a good environment i think the biggest thing for uh both dms and players what makes them difficult is uh adversarial relationships uh, where you're just trying to battle. Let's say it goes back to like when Tony talked about the rules attorney, which we which we figured out was pretty much just the D&D divorce lawyer. Um, <laughs> but, you know, someone who's just trying to create an issue isn't allowing, you know, is only invested in, in what they want to do in the story, only invested in their character, only invest, but, but, invested in what they can get, whatever it might be, and not in – this communal world building, story building uh, exercise that we get involved in. Mm. Yeah. So adversarialness, right?
0: You know, it funny though. I run into fewer, I run into the occasional adversarial player. It tends to come a little bit from the power gamer. And, I, and that, and that's might be something to explore a little more in that five types mm. we're talking about Dave. Yeah. because there are ways to handle a power gamer. Um, number one you let them, you know, acknowledge they're powerful, let them show off their power. In that, when they see their power moves working, so long as they're in-game power moves, not table dynamic power moves. We don't want to, we don't want someone here who's trying to, you know, basically alpha male the game. No one needs that. Very good point. Um, but if, so long as you can let their character shine, you let them do what they built their character to do, oftentimes the power gamer will get invested in the game. So long as they... You, you as a DM need to manage them out shining other players. You don't want to let that happen, but you need to let them shine because that's what they came to do. So there's different kinds of adversarial. That if it's like the power gamer adversarial, if you just want to see advantage over your monsters, you can kind of handle it by letting him shine and then also putting him directly, you know, directly putting your foot down when he contradicts it. You know, if it's well, I can't do that. Well, I say it can. You just yeah, you know, so long as you can do that a certain number of times with that player and just rank and just kind of pull rank a little bit. You don't do it too often, but those two things together, kind of the hard boundaries on that stuff, and meanwhile letting them shine where you, where they want to shine, usually manages a power gaming adversarial player. Um, as far as an adversarial player though, who just kind of doesn't want you to let you do your th- doesn't want the doesn't want things to move forward, or you know they don't know why they're there. I almost feel like it's a lot of times it's almost I think a player who doesn't know why they would be adventuring a player who doesn't who doesn't really have buy in if the character would want to do this stuff that kind of just wants to kind of push the well how how little can i do and get by um in some ways i'll engage with that like i mean cuz i will we'll work out of you know uh, that's where you kind of come down to that 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 what improvising lets you do is instead of having to shoehorn them into a story i can tell let them tell me what they want to do and then move it into something you know, like, okay, yeah. he wants to seduce someone. He seduces someone. Well, now their husband is coming to try to kill you, you know, or something like that. You know, you can kind of, you can kind of pull them into something. There's a saying, <laughs> there's a saying in breaking horses that basically once you break a horse, the first thing you do is you get on, is, is you get on and ride it and let it go as far and as fast as it wants to. Cause you show it, you can have all the fun in the world. So long as you're doing what I tell you to do, you kind of use that tactic and it sounds terrible, <laughs> You know, it, it's not a way you want to think about people. But when you have someone like that, who's kind of like pushing the boundaries of how little can they do, you can sort of work them into, well, look, you can still indulge this kind of creativity in the game we're playing. And here's how and I'm going to build what you did. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that and build it into something for the whole party to do. You can yeah. do that with an improv style. It can be hard to do with a story style. Which, well, I, you know, think as, I, would,
1: I would add to it uh, with the, the idea of, you know, power gamers or story gamers or whatever is that it's it, it's whether it's based in their character and what they're enjoying out of the game or based in who they are as a person and a player. And that can be where I think it, it changes, where some of their own issues start to infect into the table and start to ruin it. And I think that's, that's what never I think mean a little more with adversarialness, you know, because there's nothing wrong with wanting to be Thor, you know, and there's plenty of ways to, to <laughs> allow that and to check
0: that. Yeah. yeah. So, Tony, why don't you go into that a little more? Well, yeah, of course
2: I've uh, enjoyed the pleasures of having the personally unhappy player with his life infecting uh, the rest of the game and making that unhappy. I believe we did cover that aspect of uh, from my game in a previous podcast, but um, I also – one of the worst players' styles is when you end up in a, the late phases of a game, and then you have this horrible conclusion where you're like, this player doesn't know his character, and he's level 17. Yeah. Like that, and I've been there. And we—I mean, this is back to uh, Paul the Paladin. I'm like, you have all these amazing powers. What are you doing? Like, I'm the wizard screaming at the Paladin, trying to explain him how to be a Paladin. It's—it's—it's it's, it's some rough stuff. One of the good things about being a player that uh, I look at and say, "Wow, that identify him as a fantastic. This is a this is a uh, apex player." Is that they also really understand their character and the boundaries, like yeah. you said. Yeah. But. If they're like, yeah, um, I do this, and you're like, you don't have that power, or you're using the same power from
0: seven games ago or ten games ago, like over and over again, spamming it, it it's rough. It's, you know, that is one of the really hard things to deal with, and I've run into it in a few occasions. In part, because I try to have a really open game. I really want anyone who wants to play D and D to be able to come to my game and play. Like, I, I, I I'm that kind of. DM, when I went to Holland, I I spent a year living and working in Holland right out of college. I actually took some of, one of our sales guys and he came over from my house and I taught him to play D&D. He had never played it before. This dude's like in his, this dude's like out of his late twenties, early thirties. He had a kid and I'm teaching mm. him how to play D&D. Like it's been that for me. It's been that thing that I've always kind of been like, Hey, you ever thought about playing this? And you kind of pull people into it. And that means you get players who don't necessarily understand how it works and teaching them is fun. You do you do want to at a certain point though you do want a player to understand how their character works. You can't constantly really past about third level. You can't be telling players what their characters do. That's on them to remember, because you're doing stuff with the monsters that, you know, you might have a way to stop this, but I don't want to be the one to tell you how, because then I'm playing your game for you. Why don't I just come home yeah. and cook your dinner for you and brush your teeth for you? No, yeah. play your own character. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. it's the mirror image.
0: It's the mirror yeah.
1: image of uh, uh, of the difficult player is the good player who knows their character. And learn, you don't have to know it the first five sessions, but 20 sessions in, I think you probably know your character or not. Yeah. And are you involved in it? Are you talking to the DM? Are you, oh yeah, And I, can my character do this? And I'd really like to start to, you know, sending them side messages, investing in their story, those types of things, showing that you care because we're all spending a good amount of time because even the most low prep is still a lot of time, you know? So we're prepping for these games. So, like, you know, that's the reward is people who are invested in it so that we all have a great time. And I think that's the mirror image exactly of what we're saying with the the difficultness.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, there's different kinds of good players. Not everyone has to do it the same way. You know, right. you could be someone who really, really gets the rules and helps the whole party come together. On the other hand, a player who's really into the game and interacting with the world and doesn't know the rules of as well can still be a great help to the game. He can still be exactly that kind of gamer that Tony described as someone who brings the game together. Absolutely. You know, maybe you know what's really helpful if you have some guys at the table or some or some girls or some, some anybody at the table who's willing to help a player who doesn't know their character understand their character better. And walk them through if the players help the players play better, that is such a better party than if the DM. And then if everyone acts like, well, you know, that player's is DM's problem. And I'm just going to sit over here and, and, and get annoyed and kind of flip on my phone while that player is going through their thing. Help them out. You know, yeah. I mean, fast yeah. guys help the slow guys. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's I guess maybe you know, I played a lot of football. I did a lot of team sports coming, you know, when I was in high school and college. And I've always had that attitude of the team should be helping each other get better and play better. And, you know, that's something else I want to see at the tables, you know, players who are, who are willing to help each other and, and, and pick up the players who are maybe don't understand as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's some of what, what is happening in the game as well, right? In the yeah. actual uh, forgotten realms or whatever is you're building this team, you're help. you're learning each other's strengths and weaknesses. So yeah, Absolutely.
2: One of my favorite challenges to give the party was the infamous Mortal Kombat mirror match. You know, you have these guys walk down the stairs in the basement, and then what do they roll into? A gigantic mirror of opposition. And why I like <laughs> this challenge is that we get to see if I, as the DM, can play your characters better than your players can. And, and the actual players oh, the Oh, I see. And, when i was always put in that situation as a player i was always able to defeat my doppelganger because i could do things (laughs) they wouldn't think like i didn't really know the real the walls and like no one cleans your house better than you do you know hopefully sweep out of that encounter and not be tpk'd because you know that would be awkward
0: (laughs) you don't want the dm mopping the floor with your own with, with your own characters that makes right. me think a little bit this
1: the i didn't do the mirror of opposition but one thing i did do which actually helped save uh a one of those uh uh accidental tpks that we talked about uh a little while back um was uh it was the first campaign i was running um four player party uh normal fighter rogue cleric wizard boom 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 and they all were playing their specific class they knew their class uh Whatever, whatever. TPK'd. I brought in the rescue squad, which was in essence higher-level pre-gen characters, and I passed them out around the table, opposite what they were doing. The cleric was now playing the fighter. The wizard was the the rogue. The rogue was the right. Everybody, and then you immediately saw holy shit, all this stuff they have to do, especially the spell-slingers, you know? And they're searching through their character sheet. But it was great in the sense that, one, it let them play something completely different that they had never done before. And two, it let them see what the other players were having to deal with at the same point. So, uh, not quite the mirror of opposition, but...
2: And if we're going to really pile on the bad player aspect here... I love, and I mean the super sarcastic, Lizzie DM, where I'm like, okay, Bob, you're up, and he's flipping frantically through a book trying to figure uh, out which <laughs> spell he's gonna cast. Like, come on, man, I'm controlling like 400 different things in this universe. Pick a spell. Uh, no invest- assassin arrow for 500. Come on. Yeah, uh, that's investment in the game.
1: Knowing what you're doing during combat, you have at least three round, three people before you're up most of the time in our game six or seven people before you're up (laughs) you have to do one thing figure it out it's not hard you know and it and it and it reaps a lot of benefits from that
0: you know and it is uh as someone who occasionally does get bogged down and oh my god which spell do i want to cast you kind of have to have an appreciation for how much different it is to play a spellcaster especially like a wizard where the wizard has maximum spell flexibility, whereas a warlock's got, like, two things to choose from.
1: Or as opposed to um, I cast battle axe.
0: Yeah, right? I cast <laughs> staff again and again. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, but I one of the things i found is some players, you get a feel for players, and some players are going to get into the intricacy of spell selection and figuring out, oh, this spell's right for now, this spell's right for now. Here's when I want to use my, my, my memorized spells versus my cantrips. And then you have other players who you know, aren't going to get into it that, at that level. They're not that interested in it. Maybe they just don't have a head for the kind of spell selection because it is a certain kind of, there's definitely an academic kind of intelligence that goes oh, into yeah. selecting your spells. And oh, not yeah. everyone wants to do that. Not everyone has a good time with that. So I think there's something to be said for guiding your players. If you can recognize a player, doesn't isn't going to be good at that guiding them to characters are going to enjoy more. So like I have some players uh, where I've seen them play multiple characters and they like light up playing a barbarian and they zone out playing like a druid, you know? And it's because, you know, it's, it's more fun for them to not have to make those decisions. Some players like decisions and that's part of, and that's the game to them. Other players don't. And if you as a DM can kind of find that and part them and get them going the right way to begin, it can be, it can really lead to a more, to a better game. Yeah, I like, me, myself, I like D&D
1: homework. Not everyone <laughs> does, right? <laughs> like, I Here love d d homework, right? This is right? D&D homework,
0: obviously. Right. We all love right. it.
1: <laughs> but not everyone is going to, and that doesn't make them a difficult or bad player, you know?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it can. It can make them a bad player in
1: that game, though. Oh, That's no, no, yeah, it, depending know? on the class choice, absolutely. Yeah. That's why in I think a lot sense. of times, first-time players, I... I I would I would get away from being a wizard right now, you know, pick up a sword, see how it goes. You
0: know, that's something that I've really learned, and it's important, because when you first get into 5th edition or any D&D, one of the first things that, you know, you tend to have kind of players kind of on the fringe who maybe want to play maybe don't, and they want to show up and play like an elf wizard. And you kind of got to be able to kind of guide them somewhere else, because that player who's maybe in, maybe out, and you maybe know they're not going to want to study the spells and get deep into how the mechanics work, they're not going to enjoy or be good at or bring a good game to the table playing an elf wizard. So you kind of, if you can spot that and move them into maybe an, maybe an elf barbarian.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So in one of your games, Thorne, I actually remember we were doing a session zero creating characters and I was helping a newbie uh, person never played D and D, but was really wanting to play. And she chose to be a bard and I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm helping her get, and I'm like, holy shit like there's so much that has to be developed for just first level like yeah. and and then like and now you're like okay and now you have to pick this and now you have to that and, then, and i'm like oh boy this is bad and i think it really probably was one of the things that might have turned her off from wanting to to continue you know because yeah. it was like this is homework why
0: am i doing you know, doing you know barge one of those deceptive classes Bard is harder than it looks. You got to balance your mar- You got to balance being kind of a basically a frontline fighter with being a spellcaster. With kind of, you're a little worse at everything to be really good at a lot of different things, and that makes it one of the, Bard and Wizard to me are two of the hardest classes to play.
1: I would a agree. Druid,
0: Druid, especially a non Moon path. A druid, especially one that's not Path of the Moon. Hard to play, you know, and these are things where you, you know, and these are things that can be appealing to someone who hasn't played a lot of D&D because they see, you know, like the kind of the the the, the way they're presented and get attracted to it. But they're not beginner characters. Rangers hard. Rangers other yeah. another. Character's oh, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And that's all stuff where I think if I if I was starting a game with new players, those are characters that would be very careful who I push, who, who I kind of steered in that direction uh saucer is not bad warlock's pretty easy although warlock gets some you kind of warlock is very good at parsing out your complexity you make yeah. an interesting choice every level versus so all the time
1: they uh they understand their character better by the time they have
0: to choose nine things
1: you know
0: <laughs> well, and it's never nine things it's always every level is like one big thing that really changes what you can do so you got to make yeah, one big
1: decision for the level uh, trajectory. Yeah.
0: I mean fighter if fighter is interesting cuz fighter champion is very good for new players but fighter battlemaster or uh, or 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 the um or or the elder's knight they're hard. Yeah, you know, they're harder for, for new players. So like it's barbarian is great, fighter champion's great. A sorcerer's pretty good. Warlock's pretty good.
2: Yeah, no. Barbarian is positively fantastic. You have a new player, give him a Barbarian. They'll love you for it.
0: Or if you have a player from has been like,
1: playing for 20 years like Tony, give him a Barbarian. They'll
2: love it. You know, honestly, I had never played yeah, a Barbarian in any of you're, you're the games. You're Mr. Played. Wizard. It's totally against character. It, it really is. And I have to constantly go, uh, like we're, in, we're trying to solve a mystery. And I'm like, yeah, and my character is not going to say something insightful in the scene. No, nope. I'm like <laughs> hiding under a table. I won't do it. As far as tough players go, I mean, sometimes you have a power gamer, but I have I have no problem with letting them push all the boundaries of whatever. It's just when I feel that there's sometimes when you have like the second DM in the party. That drives me a little bonkers. Or I'm like, we're like we're moving, like we're moving into a new room, and then they're like, like well, actually the lighting in this room would technically be. I'm like, well, thank you. And then you know, and next thing I know, like nine interruptions later, I like I feel like I'm back in college again, and that one guy keeps interrupting the professor, and I'm like, holy shit, this is my teacher. Like that scene from Monty Python, where he's like, do you want to get up here
0: and teach this class? Yeah, be careful, because sometimes they do. <laughs> sometimes they do. It turns into true. a young Sheldon moment. You know, and that is tricky. And, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of... Because we talked in the first episode about kind of things we struggle with, that balance between a player who helps everyone understand the game and the player who is disruptive. And it's a really tricky thing thing to balance out there. And the other side of that is oftentimes characters are being picked counting on those abilities. So if you're glossing over something a character has chosen, a player has chosen as character selection or in their, as they built their character, well, it's not just that, you know... Like if you have a character who can see very well, like they take like that warlock, that warlock infernal vision or the the, the 120 foot uh, yeah, uh, vision spell, true. or, or um, the, the 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 ability they get, you know, well that character's thing is they can see almost everything. So you've kind of got to, you know, if you're not opening up those things, well you're kind of shorting that character ability, and then they've wasted a, a class selection. So it's it's a little, it's a little bit a matter of kind of balancing, you know, making sure that everything the players get to do they can do, but at the same time. You know, you know, getting on with things.
1: Well, that's a good point that we're making. We're talking about good and difficult players, uh, but, and, and it's on a, a DM advice uh, podcast, uh, because a lot of times it can also be on the DM too, right? And making that, and I think that's kind of the point you're making right now. And that's what I see a lot. You know, you go on uh, the Facebook groups or you go on Twitter, or you go on the subreddits and, uh, it's just people. Just oh my god, what am I doing wrong? Why am I doing this wrong? Should I be doing this wrong? And it's like, oh my, give yourself a break. You know, it, it might not be you. I mean, it very well could be you, <laughs> but it might not be you. And I think that's why we're kind of covering this a little bit to see that that there are certain things that um, that assist you to to make it easy to run such a uh, a crazy machine as a as a D anD D game mm. or any other any other game
2: yeah actually the system isn't as relevant because all the things that we talk about we uh can apply and have applied throughout all the editions through different gaming systems uh i think a lot of the same principles definitely apply with how to run a game the most important thing is a positively this is so simple but everyone and everybody must have fun if that's not happening then there is something current there's definitely something fundamentally wrong at the core of the game and yeah the DM. Yeah. Man. You've got to be able to move the football people need to. I know that's as simple as saying, like having a John Madden moment where, like, we need to, with this game, we got to let them score less points and we need to score more points.
0: But <laughs> it's a game of inches. The older I get, the more sense John Madden makes, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> He's the,
1: the, the bonus uh, of uh, football.
0: <laughs> <laughs> kind of coming back to the enthusiasm and the buy in aspect. The one thing that has, ve- that has really vexed me as a DM that I've never really found a good solution to is sometimes you get into a game and you know, you're know you you're kind of rolling out, okay, what happens? The players did this, you did that. And, it's, and the players don't enjoy, or they, 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 they're they kind of almost metagaming. Like, oh, he's going this way. I don't like that we're going this way. And instead mm-hmm. of handling that in game, like I have no problem if a, if a character says it and pulls the plug and says, hey, we want to get out of here, and do something else. But then it kind of comes back outside of the game. And now you're in a situation of, okay, we're getting, you know, there's there's feedback, and perhaps indirect feedback, so sometimes it doesn't come right back to the DM. Not all players are comfortable talking to the DM when they have an issue. Sometimes it comes back separately. Sometimes it kind of, it can become really kind of an eroding force in the game. Uh, if some players are unhappy and instead of dealing with, with, with the way the game's going and instead of dealing with it in the game they start trying to deal with it outside of the game So now as a DM you're in this spot of trying to mind read and I've really always had a hard time dealing with that, I mean sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't, but when you have that kind of creeping behind the scenes unhappiness that then is being dealt with outside of game instead of character through character decisions you know that, that, that I found to be very destructive and I find that to be a little problematic
2: now, I've got to absolutely agree with you there. Uh, I don't care. Like, If I if I set up a mission and my players are like, this mission sucks, I hate it, I don't like the Lord, he's a cheapskate, we're getting ripped off, we're out of here. That's fine. Handle it in character. Handle it yes. on set. Don't be like, ah, I'm throwing my notebook in the air, I- I'm out of here. That's, a, that's completely different level problem because then I could be like okay so you've bounced you're not in the dungeon now you're on the overworld what are you doing I'll put it back to them you have the agency oh you're going north okay there, there's the mountains up there go and you can take it from there Dave you look like you want to say something oh I always
1: want to say something yeah no I I no, I, I agree too I, it took me a little bit to kind of understand where Throne was going with it but I think I get what he was trying to say because uh, and it goes to what you were saying before about everybody having fun at the table but I think everybody should give themselves a little bit of a break and realize that there are will be sessions where it'll be slog, or there will be sessions where you'll just not have enjoyed it at all. And it was just, mm-hmm. as a DM, the players might have been loving it, right? Or a certain player is just not invested that week. Who knows? With all the stuff that's happening in their life, or whatever it might be. But if it's a consistent, growing feeling that you have, uh, especially behind the screen, I felt it where I felt the rush of, oh yeah, this is a good group. This is a good session. This is a good adventure, but I'm feeling that way very much. uh, Hopefully I'm not wrong uh, about our our Curse of Strahd group. It just has a very, everyone is very invested in it. Everyone's taking notes. Everyone has backstory. Everybody, right. Uh, And then there are some where it's like, Okay, I'm not sure. So you start to kind of adjust certain meters to see if the, if it changes it, but uh, it, it can be tough. But if you're constantly, ju- if you're just not having fun, you know, there's lots of people out there who want to play DD, as Thorne was saying. And if yeah. you can't find them, just make them, because just go to the guy next to you and be like, hey, a guy from <laughs> Holland, <laughs> do you want to be a fighter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: what class was he, by the way? What did he decide to be? You remember? I don't remember. This was oh. uh to be fair, this was uh two thousand two or one. No, two thousand one. So oh, we're talking about okay. wow. it's a while. It's a while. It's a while. <laughs> and that was that was that was uh I was I was a veteran D D player by that point. I mean <laughs> at least from the late eighties, right? So I See? guess, you know, so I mean it, it can be an issue, but like what do you do about it? You know, okay. So if you have kind of unhappy players and it's kind of become something that they're not dealing with in game, do you guys have any tips on how to how to fix that? Communicate.
1: Just like we have been talking about every time it comes back to that communication. Sometimes you have to have a difficult conversation. I had a difficult conversation after the one uh I, the last session we ever had of Slavers Way right, so far <laughs> before the before the plague hit, right? Uh, <laughs> it and it was. You know, I was getting the sense that people were feeling a little slog of like the leveling. So I said, you know, mm-hmm. let me know if you guys you got to, you know, communicate to me if you want more, you know, a little more robustness with that. Talk to me. Let's have this open communication. You know, I think after that, though, if if it doesn't change,
2: you sometimes have to find a different group. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think leveling the rewards can really definitely affect player buy in. Like, I've been in games where I felt like I've crawled around a dungeon in the dark like an idiot for eight hours and got, like, 800 XP. And it's like, well, so I need um 7,900 more. Great game, guys. All right. See you next Sunday. Yeah, that's actually – that that's tough, yeah. and I, I can yeah. relate to that. Um, I, I've also been in a situation where, you know, we do an eight-hour game and one person gets a magical item. And it's like, well, again, I'm so happy for you, slow clap. Um, so I, I understand that. I feel that leveling must be related to how much you're playing. If we're playing every freaking night, like three four, four nights a week, three nights a week like we were 20 years ago, I'm slow leveling you. That makes perfect sense. I'm playing once a month or every other week. I'm more jujitsu to XP because I want you to feel like this is definitely moving. You know, we talked about, what do you do with that one guy who's buying a dagger in the shop for an hour? Well, was the role play good?
1: (laughs) Did everybody have fun? Did you laugh? That role play is worth 3,000
2: experience points. (laughs) I don't know. But maybe you you uncovered some information that was pertinent to the story, so maybe I could justify that. Maybe I can't, but I'm just saying I don't want someone to feel like you gotta actually grab the friggin' bard in a chokehold and put a crossbow to his head and drag him out and pull him to the module <laughs> because you're like, yo, dude, I need five more grand before the end of this
0: night. Now come on. At the same time, if it needs to be done, I hope players, I hope the players handle it amongst themselves. That's <laughs> true. That's it. I don't want to be involved. I want the barbarian to go in there and drag the and drag the bard out himself. I don't want to have to handle that as a DM. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, that so do we do do you both feel like and I kind of feel like this. The games that level faster, the games that are leveling every session or every other session, definitely, seem to be going better. Does that feel like it just fun. makes a better game right now?
1: Right. It's definitely more exciting. To mm-hmm. Even to a quick point, like with Storm Kings, uh, that Tony's run... There are times where I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. I don't even know all my abilities yet, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, there's I, definitely that that feeling of, like, accomplishment and stuff. Yeah. But at the same point, like, that can you can go off the deep end with that, too, I think, you know? I know uh, I saw an interview with Mike Murrells once, and he said, oh, just level them every single session. I'm like, so 20 sessions later, you're at 20th level? Like, I, that's – I mean, you could –
2: um i'm actually wondering if we should tony what do you think okay well i'm doing some fast leveling in my game but honestly in storm kings because you guys came at level one yeah like there were scenarios where they were like okay so you do this and you see so you go to the ice cream stand everybody ordered ice cream check okay and everyone <laughs> to the hot dog stand and as everyone picked out their hot dog they paid You're level three good job guys and i'm like what just happened Like I keep going back, like I was in Thorns game recently, and I'm like punching and kicking and stabbing and chopping, and I'm like, all right, well that was an eighth of a level, ooh, and you know, they do this in in this and do the milestone experience, which I actually am a big fan
0: of. I've, again, I feel like I'm revealing all of my secrets to my peers here. Um, that's the point. (laughs) That is, that is what the three wise DMs are here to do, to, 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 to reveal the secrets of being wise. Big air quotes, DM. That's how Great. good we
1: are,
2: though. We can reveal all our secrets, and you still don't even know where we're coming. So he, here's what I got for the Storm King's Thunder. I know how many module, how many games, more or less, we're going to play. Wait, I've broken it up uh, how many levels you're going to game gain out of this. So I have a, a target number in my head where you're going to end, what it looks like so you're strong enough to be in appropriate points, and where it doesn't feel like you've been six games without a level.
1: Yeah, Mm-hmm. I would say the same with Strahd. I could say probably with plus or minus two levels exactly how many sessions it'll be.
2: Like and, I, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's Almost, optional you know, stuff A lot of that has to do with what, what people decide to do, but yeah, it it definitely uh consolidates it.
0: Well it's it's interesting because, you know, Tony, you were saying earlier how everything we talk about really applies to any game you're running. Um, I have played in some very different systems, especially lately, and one of the things I'd point out is like, every system does run a little differently, though. So 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, like 4th edition was, is much Mm -hmm. more focused on players building characters. And how they build their characters is how they're interacting with the game, so therefore letting their character play out the way they built them is really important to the player side of the system. Second edition, first edition, I feel like that was less so. It was less combo-y, there were a lot more house rules, and there was a lot of more stuff that was like described as like open-ended, where you're like, as a DM, you gotta decide how to interpret this. And while leveling was very important, of course, I feel like, you know, more of the more of the advancement was done in giving out magic items, which were much more important in first and second edition. So there are different experiences there, and some of what we're talking about appeal apply differently to those games. Um, mm. Now, talking about the leveling thing, so we were just playing Trail of Cthulhu, which is mm. a, an alternate version of Call Cthulhu using the Gumshoe system I mentioned. It's very um it's very silent. I really want to
1: play this. I really I mean, want to play a game. I about.
0: have Call of Cthulhu and we should do a Call of Cthulhu game one of
1: these. Yeah, things. I really do. But That's a call for another Sorry. time.
0: Yeah. Just yeah. saying.
1: I really want to play it at
0: some point. But one <laughs> of the things in Call of Cthulhu, you if you're playing the base Call of Cthulhu rules, you barely level up. And Trail of Cthulhu is the same way. You're barely advancing as a character. Your rewards are in story. Your rewards are in finding yeah. out more of the secrets to what's going on. And your level advancement is like, you might advance, you might you might gain a pip here or a pip there over the course of the game. You might not even expect to survive the game. A lot of the scenarios are set up where, well, your character's going to be insane or dead by the end. You're not going to go on to have a lot of adventures exploring. He's going to get through one world ending scenario and then snap and you retire him as having stopped Cthulhu once and you bring out a new guy next time. Right. Uh, So it's a different, different games do do apply to this differently. And it's interesting because I do kind of get the, the impression that fifth edition games that level every adventure or every other adventure, at least like the first few levels seem to go a lot better than fifth edition games where you stick to the XP chart Because I'm running all my games through, like, I'm not using milestone leveling. The D&D XP chart seems to take a long time to get from level to level unless you're milestone leveling. Like, I'm having a hard time hitting levels every three or four sessions, and I'm, like, doubling the XP I give.
1: Now, Um, I will say with that, Thorin, on the opposite side, I enjoy this very much, like, leveling, like, halfway through the session thing that we're doing, right? (laughs) But (laughs) I by no means am uh, am bothered by uh, the levels that we... Because we're currently the same level in your game that we are in Tony's game, and we played Tony's game like a total of five or six sessions.
0: Are they
1: both level level six? We're both level six right now, yeah. But that doesn't take away at all from the Woodstock Wanderers because it's more of this kind of story open-ended thing. But again, I think that's very much... The player that's coming because you were just talking about Cthulhu, uh, and Tony would agree here because we've talked about it at some length. But the Marvel superheroes role-playing game, mm-hmm. there is no real advancement or leveling or anything because it's based off comic book characters. And how many new powers does Spider-Man get in the last 50 years? You know, not many. So the ability to to improve your character in a power way or or, or something like that is incredibly daunting. Uh, so it's very much about the story. It's about beating Doc Ock. It's about beating the It's whatever, uh, as opposed to the idea of leveling and gaining skills and magic and all of this.
0: You know what's, what's funny is I was recently reading an article in Kotaku, uh, Kotaku, the website. It uh, kind of covers gaming and, and anime and stuff. I'm sure our readers have heard of it um about red dead redemption and how Ooh. in red dead redemption mm. and i didn't even notice this as i went through it you level you advance as the character very little through the course of the game what advances is your is your ability to kind of ride through the west and and kind of engage in new stories there and i guess that's that's a very different uh adventure path than say a skyrim or a fallout mm. or a yeah fantasy where they're all based on on heavy level and pretty quick level advancement getting better at things getting stronger at things getting better items right that redemption you know you're not really that much better at shooting people at the end of the game than you are when you come (laughs) into it your dead eye meter lasts a little longer you know but it's like you don't really get better at shooting people you don't you you get a little better at riding a horse but like it, it tops out pretty quickly so really it's the quirky characters and the story you get to see that make it interesting and i think Maybe in these games, we've got to keep that in mind a little bit, where if the leveling is slow, well, the story rewards and the world rewards got to be hot. That's, that's and,
1: well said. And the and the type of player, because a story-based care, uh, player, right, someone who really loves narrative and story, mm-hmm. will love Trail of Cthulhu, will love Marvel superheroes. will love uh, d d as well, right? Even a super long open-ended campaign that goes nowhere and you don't go past level five. But the power gamer, something like that, they want they want something new. I want shiny baubles. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but similar to what you said about maybe don't play Wizard because you'll really like Barbarian, similar in your game system. So, you know, there's more than just, you know, we apologize, Wizards of the Coast. There's more than D&D out there, right? And there's sir. only D&D. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we well, get you know, a and d Beyond sponsorship or something.
0: And then that's all you play at this table. <laughs> nah, nah, Um, You know, but it's like, Tony's mentioned a few times, kind of the grinding kind of games. Now, I know that part of that comes from one of the games we talked about a bit, the game I'm DMing. And this was uh, one of the first games I did in 5th edition. I've been trying to DM, I've been trying to level by, uh, by encounter, by creatures, um, and it did like, I mean, Tony's expressed that that's kind of been a bit of a slog sometimes where you go too long without leveling. And that's something that I do think it seems like in D and D in fifth edition, you got to be careful with that. Like if you don't level fast enough, it does get to be very sloggy. Maybe.
2: Well, I mean, honestly, it depends if you're playing a group, like I said, you're a lot of, you're playing a lot of games, um, and you want to do slower X, ex- uh, leveling. That makes sense. But then again, I got to tell you, I remember a game I played, um, a DM who we haven't played with in forever, uh, Thorn, uh, Mm -hmm. ran a game. And we fought, this was not in fifth or fourth, it was actually in second edition D&D. And we fought, we're like level one or two. And we fought legions of orcs in this game. <laughs> it was like we were single-handedly taking on of Saurons, yeah, by ourselves. This wasn't and a campaign. Th- this was a genocide. <laughs> so it was just like because the DM saw the way the rules worked in the game, like, oh, they're entangled. We kill them. They're entangled. We kill them. They're asleep. We kill them. Like real out of the box kind of like you know you know what I mean, the status effects. But anyway. So I do this, I'm part of this massacre. Like, I'm, my wizard's covered in blood. Like, there's maybe, like, one eyebrow's not covered in gray matter from a dead orc. And the DM's like, yeah, and here's enough XP for, like, 60% of a level. Good job. And I'm like, go fuck yourself. I am out of this game. If you think I'm spending my Sunday with you in this absolute bloodbath of a game where I'm doing nothing but combat... I mean, there was less death than Mortal Kombat and RoboCop put together, for God's <laughs> sakes, than this one episode of this game. And we, it's like we maybe, – maybe story-wise we accomplished, but I felt like we physically as characters accomplished nothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, that was actually my one and only appearance in that game. And I can't say there's a lot of games where I played once and then bailed. Yeah. Well.
1: There, sure. there is, there is the possibility that sp- some people dig that. I, rem- I was listening to uh, a YouTube video. Uh, uh, I think it was that Dungeon Craft, the Professor Dungeon Master guy or whatever. He literally said that he had a game going for like fifteen years, a regular game. It's not like they met every like year, one year anniversary, and his characters were still level five, and no one had a care about it because they were it was about the story and stuff like that and they weren't about leveling so there is a place for that if you have the right group you know again i'll go back to i'll go back to the uh the critical role people because they're doing a tv show so they got like two years or three years of a thing uh so yeah they'll take three years or so to go to level 20 but you know that's a little different than when I'm just hanging out at my buddy's house having a couple of beers, you know?
2: No, no there's there's two really powerful aspects there. Like, I, I think I mentioned uh, that Palladium, when they play tested that game, they said we only went up to level 15 in the original core rules because they played these characters nonstop for two, three years and got to level nine. So, like, don't even worry about level 15. You're never going to freaking get there. <laughs> um, of course, we house ruled the fuck out of it and like went to level twenty and like, you know, in, in a summer because that's what players want to do. Um But in that environment, like if you're in a situation where going to level from level four to level five is a huge deal, which it especially is in fifth because you're changing tiers, I get that. I respect that in that environment that makes sense. But here's my huge problem with that. If I'm playing a character for two and a half friggin' years, I get the ninth level and he fucking dies well
0: <laughs> good game guys i'm done i'm not good really of the character I did notice fifth edition has provided a player character res feature much earlier than previous editions have done. What oh is a, yeah. yeah. About a third, uh, there's a third level spell that'll that that'll that'll keep you alive. You can, uh, you
1: can, yeah, third <laughs> level you can do it very quickly. If he's dead too long, you need to be like I don't know, probably ninth level or so, but st- you know you could kind of bring him back.
0: But well, you know, this is I feel like on this on the whole leveling issue, what we're really talking about though is communication again, right? If players know it, don't expect a game where you're going to get a lot of character advancement, where you're going to get a lot of story advancement. They know what they're getting into. If players come in expecting to grind up levels and, you're in, and it's a very slow grind, well, then you can have a problem. Um, and I think it's probably, that's it comes back to that kind of session zero, talking it out, setting expectations before the game. Um, and if you're new to the system, kind of getting to know the system. Because I will say, I feel like 5th edition, their milestone leveling in modules is so much faster than the natural leveling of the of, of what they, of the encounters that they, the way that they level it out in the monster manual. Like that is so far behind what they do in their own modules that I kind of feel like they're like, I kind of feel like they're just trying to make themselves look good. Like here's how, <laughs> how quickly you should level characters, but in our own stuff, no, 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 no. We're throwing it out the window. We're jet leveling. Why? Because we know players want to play that more.
1: Well, we said it in a in a previous too. uh, The idea that uh, there's always been um, things for for story based experience and for milestone experience, but it wasn't codified in the same level that monster encounters were. So, you know,
2: because we love that old D and D formula that killing things makes us stronger. Well, it's a classic. Well, there's no uh, other formula. Like, I'm a wizard and I solve problems with my fireballs, and then we move on. And I fireball the next monster, and we move on.
1: Initially, initially, my brain, initially, they uh experience was actually tied to treasure and not killing monsters, so you actually would gain experience for. Yeah, from Guy Guy. Right. First edition.
2: It was straight. It was great. So it it actually
1: incentivized you figuring out how to get around just killing the orc or the the ogre, you know?
0: Second edition. Second edition, every class had individual experience bonuses. And if you played those by the book, uh, half of the experience characters were getting was coming from those things. So for fighters, it was XP. It was extra XP based on hit die of monsters to feed it. For thieves, it was based on gold collected.
1: Like, that would so, yeah. a lot more sense, yeah. right? Well, Which it did to a certain
0: more extent, sense. yeah. And I kind of like that, and they have gotten away from that, because obviously one of the things they've done, t- one of the things Watsi has done with D&D is flatten the level, is make the leveling more equitable across the board. they flattened it. You're no longer leveling at different rates for different people, for different, different I characters. I hated that. Oh, my god. Well. Gosh. But it was kind of neat when you get into okay, but your thief gets more gets more bonus XP for stealing stuff, and the fighter gets more bonus XP for killing stuff, and that creates a little tension about how we're going to solve this problem. Just a little. Uh, <laughs> Until you're playing
2: a barbarian who needs like half a million XP to get to level nine, and I'm like, okay, I'll well,
0: see you in the fall. <laughs> that was the other issue. That was that. That was the issue of how they everyone having an individual table, which I think is different from everyone having individual rewards and. I think I think those are two different things. You know, we've been going on, yeah. on for a while, and there's one more issue I really do want to get to here, and it's perhaps the trickiest part of this whole problem player dynamic. What do you do when you have a player who you as a DM can handle, but the other players in the game aren't having fun playing with them?
1: That you, is you tough. want to elaborate at all.
0: It can happen Corey. a couple of different ways. So I mean we you can it can happen a couple ways. We've talked about the player who just who, who, who kind of derails the adventure and deflects and players can hate that. You can have players who are really power gamers who want to shine and players maybe don't like that. You can have players who, you know, I've had parties where some of the party, some of the players were experienced other players weren't and those other players who weren't like the players who were experienced really didn't have a lot of patience with that. And they were getting annoyed to having to wait for them. The Paul Paladin was in a game Tony played in, and that was a little bit that situation where I think even, you know, Tony would say, you know, that, that impacted your enjoyment of that game. Didn't you, Tony? I'm afraid so. And I mean, I liked that guy. I really liked him. I liked him yeah. at
2: the table. He was a great guy and it, he was good. I and mean, this is where kind of a rubber hits the road though. Like when you get down to the really nitty gritty situations, we are in the really rough combat where we're punching out of a weight class. And I'm like, okay, we really got to come up with a strategy. And he's like, Okay, at Willpower or like the equivalent to you for this, you'd be like time for a cantrip, and I'm like, uh, we're gonna fucking die.
0: So, what do you do? Because I gotta tell you, I found that very challenging as a DM. Because as I've said, I want to bring everyone in. I want to be very inclusive. I want to be patient with the players who don't who don't know how to playing yet, and teach them how to play and get them to enjoy the game. And now you have another player who's very veteran who winds up maybe bailing because they don't they're not patient with it and they don't want to be involved in that. Um, how do you handle that? That is a super difficult situation I have I think been that in. That is an, the kind of situation we are here to discuss. Yeah, I
2: think. Um, it's, um it. Go ahead, Tom. I have some. Pause, I mean, Tom. I've been in a situation where someone. I've been in multiple situations along these lines where someone, a couple of players, haven't liked a certain character for whatever reason. They don't like his backstory. They feel like it clashes or overlaps with theirs. I've I've had some players. Honestly be some upset and I know this is hard to believe, like legitimately upset over and I'm saying this sarcastically, some really silly shit. <laughs> and I remember one point I had a paladin in the game and I had a cleric in the game and the cleric's like, My story's completely irrelevant now because a paladin showed up and I'm like, How do you figure? <laughs> like, I was so friggin' blown away by that. I mean, listen, you know what? The moon is far away, and I can't see the light of it. Like, what are you talking about? But, like, this is a huge problem. It it really has got to be strictly a case-to-case basis. But uh, I, I feel strength. in those cases you have to make the honestly what you believe is the right decision, and then what happens, happens. And that's my advice there. Dave?
1: So I uh, used to be a hobbyist uh, bonsai. Uh, cultivator, little trees. Probably because I watched too much Karate Kid when I was growing up. But bonsai. Um, yeah, <laughs> bonsai, not bonsai, bonsai. But yeah. Um, and there was a, a some famous. I read it in one of my one of my bonsai books. Uh, a very famous uh master, you know, gardener, and he said, uh, you know, they said, what's the secret to bonsai? He said, uh, grow a lot, trim a lot, water a lot, kill a lot. Uh, And what he was in essence saying is that you're just going to do this over and over and over again. And some of these trees are going to be the ones that you see that are literally 400 years old. And they're still this dwarf little tree and other ones you'll kill before it's ever out of sapling stage. Right. So with these games, I think it's a lot of the same thing. And the more I game with more and more different people and different groups, uh, that's what I'm seeing some groups and players start to coalesce around each other and you start to curate a group and other ones sometimes fall away. So uh, you can, if it's, especially if it's friends and things like that, you can talk about it. Uh, I mean, again, this is all about communication, uh, but you can kind of have the players talk to the issue play. If there's this one player that's causing it, no one else kind of likes to deal with them, but you know, it can be hard But if the the group is worth it, then I think
0: the talk is worth it. So I guess here's my question, though. Who do you let go? Like, and, and so in my opinion, from my stance, like I said, I have a very inclusive stance. If I have everyone's bringing characters to the table, all the players are coming to the table, and I have one player who's coming to me like, look, I don't like this guy's character. I don't like the way this guy plays the game. I err on the side of everyone gets to do what they want within reason, unless there's something egregious. And I will generally tell the player who has an issue, you know, I'll try to work it out with them and I'll try to make some small adjustments. I'll try to help the, maybe the problem player, but I will generally have patience with the player who's maybe slower, newer, and I will kind of feel like, well, everyone should, we're here to have fun. We should help our friends have fun. So that is the choice I've made before. And that is something that's cost me players sometimes There's something that sometimes kind of made a game come apart sometimes where it's you know by not kind of kicking out the person who was maybe a little slower or whatever the issue was it's caused problems so who do you pick in that well if it's that better-
1: if it's if it's because the the person is learning the game or whatever and people are getting frustrated well then that's a little on them and they just have to kind of sack up a little bit Uh, You know, because we're all I mean, unless you are still 12 years old and playing in our basements, which we're not. And a lot of the people in the hobby are not. We're all adults like we're here to have some fun. Um, But if I was I was taking that more as if there's like a real problem player where they're just either wildly aggressive or very controlling or something like that. Uh, and that is where I think a, a conversation uh, is very valid. And it doesn't have to be in an angry way, but after the session or between sessions. Uh, you know, that's, I talk think about that's it. The, have a beer and talk about
0: it. That's kind of the easier quest problem, though. Like, it's, you can identify when someone is kind of a real, kind of, they're disruptive to the game. But, like the situation Tony was laying out there, this isn't so much that someone's disruptive to the game. This is that someone's made choices about their character or someone's playing in a way that is annoying and making it not fun for other players, whether it's for a silly reason, as Tony just said, or (laughs) for a reason that's a little more like, hey, I'm just not enjoying being here. I mean, Tony, what do you think? Well, I have to say my final answer on this is
2: because I am a philosopher at heart, I have to make a decision as the DM that really feels the, the most true. We got to the truth of the matter here. So regardless okay so let's say it's not cut and dry like oh the player's getting aggressive or something and you it can, that's that's more cut and dry but if there's a situation where you have two players that are conflicting and it's over something along those lines like character background like the story or you feel like that character's overpowered but that's really how the system works anything along those lines you mean you could talk it out you could try to reason with it and then ultimately you have to make a decision that really is true to yourself As a DM, honestly, do your best you can with that. And sometimes people walk away from that unhappy and that sucks. And I have been there and I've not always handled it perfectly, honestly. I mean, but as you know, you're, you're like the CEO of your game. You have to make this decision. It is on you. You have nobody. I mean, if it's outside of the players, there's nobody. I mean, I, in those situations I will offer this advice. Talk to your other friends who also run games get some other input there is never i've you know people have said you know like uh, you're getting all this input from all these other places that are outside our game yes i am because i i need to, I, I don't feel this answer is solved so i'm widening my search until i feel the confident it is
1: oh I will. i say that's what most people are doing because that's what you'll see on all the posts is people saying oh my god i have this issue and usually about some sort of player issue or something like that so
0: So, Tony, you brought up something there, what feels true to you as a DM. So what feels true to you as a DM? Like, what does that mean? Well, okay. so I listen to the grievance and I really have to do my best
2: to look at the situation and saying, is this person, you know, what is the what is a fair resolution I can come to? Is there a resolution I can come to? Um, And. What does that look like to, to my game? Uh, I, uh, have games dissolved over this kind of stuff? Absolutely. And it sucks. And I, I got to tell you, I, I was at a game where we got to be like level eight or nine. And then everyone just hit a crossroads because, like, I mean, I mean I, I, another unbelievable thing, guys. Some players are a little touchy. Can you believe it? I mean, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> You know, like I remember one campaign where I had players who were pissed off because one player kept like grabbing all the items first, and like they were like ready to clobber them in real life. And I'm like, guys, take a breath. There's, there's a, lot, a lot, of stuff here. You, you have to do your best to be a mediator. I agree. We have to be inclusive. I want everyone to feel welcome. But if at the end of the day you have to make a call, I recommend you make a call that you know you're, you're, you can stand behind it.
0: Yeah. So. I guess for me, um, you know, it's funny, you mentioned a few things there that I don't necessarily, uh, I kind of do them a little differently. You know, I'm actually cautious about talking to other DMs in the circle because then that can kind of make the player feel ganged up on, Um, which is tricky. Because if you want other perspective, where do you get it from? But if you're in a situation where, you know, there's a difference of opinion, you can kind of wind up in a group, creating a group think. Of you know everyone here thinks the same way, so therefore the this, the player who has a new idea is kind of out. Um, but at the same time, you know where do you get your 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 advice from? I do feel if it's an overpower thing, I think I need to deal with it as a DM, but I might just raise everyone else's power. That's almost one of the easier mm. ones to deal with. You know you can bring everyone else up, uh, or handle it differently. You know you can also you can you can just target that dude. Like if someone um like if someone's kind of if there's like the monk stunning everyone in the encounter, well I don't have any problem making the monk public enemy number one because you know word gets around. When it comes down to the situation you define, Tony, where, you know, you like I you said, you've had a player come to you say this other player's choice of class invalidates my background and I'm unhappy with it. Yep, that's basically what happened. Even if it's multiple players. Now, you can also have a situation where maybe two or three players in the game say this character's class. I don't like it. I don't want to play with that. My stance as a DM is everyone gets to choose their class, their race their background, whatever they want to do. And if another player has a problem with it, I will tell that player, I, I will diplomatically tell that player to pound sand. And I can understand how that, that can cost the game, but I try to I try to set the rules and, and make it clear from the beginning, I'm going to let you do your thing too. And if you don't want to play in that kind of game, that is not, You know, I'm not going to be the DM for you. But I feel like if you handle it, if you handle it where everyone can see the rules are fair, everyone can see that they can't, no one's getting an advantage by talking to you directly. Cause that can be one of the things that comes out. You know, if someone's working with the DM a lot on the side that can start, that can start creating an issue where, well, this person has more pool with you. If you can flatten it and make sure everyone knows they can talk to you about this in the game and kind of try to make sure the, the, they, it's clear the access to you is equal. Everyone has equal ability to do whatever they want to do that. You don't get to determine what another player does, but they don't get to determine what you do either. That's the ground rules I want to set usually that works not always and if it doesn't work though i kind of feel like that's not the game i'm going to run you know i'm almost always going to side with the player if one if one player says i don't like this guy's choices i'm going to side with the guy who made the choices because everyone has the same choices to make and if you everyone's got total freedom in that and you shouldn't get to control another player's choices then we're not role-playing um that's my that's that's kind of my approach to it dave you seem to get something to say there
1: oh no 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 i uh I just uh, y'all play with some cray cray people. That's all. That's what I'll. Leave Bro, for you here. have no idea. <laughs> um,
0: this is where it comes down to. We have DM'd. We've both DM'd since we were in high school. Since we were in junior high, we've gone through play. We've gone through games with. With I think you know. We. I remember teaching it. I've said this a million a million times. I taught a bunch of drunk, horny, high high school friends of mine when I was in high school to calculate that. Yeah, you can teach anyone that, you can teach anyone anything. So, thing, I mean, what I've, Well I've, said.
1: Yeah, what I've noticed the most, though, and what I find it to be one of the more interesting things about this hobby is that, um, you know, we're playing a game and it has rules and we're fighting monsters and all this, but what you're really doing, what you start to find is, it's similar to like when I would, uh, I was a musician, and when, when I would play, you start to really see who the person really is. Because you can't hide those things. Uh, you can't hide them behind an instrument. Uh, your your st- your way of being, who you are as a person, will come through. Uh, and it, it really seems that it's not going to happen in a role-playing game either. It's going to come through. Whatever your yes. issues are are gonna be front and center. And I think it's one of the interesting things that 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 people uh, turn to it in in therapy situations and things like that, because it allows this ability to really get into that nitty gritty of some of the the shadow side of ourselves yeah. uh, and put it on display in a way that's uh, a little less consequential maybe. Um, that's tricky because it makes everyone more vulnerable. Yeah, you're gonna find a lot of people who, uh, really cool people and then all of a sudden they got some real issues <laughs> um, so <laughs> you just have to again uh, you have to deal. it's going to be different you know if you're a dm at, at an adventurers league thing at your hobby shop uh you're probably not going to deal with it in the same way as when it's uh friends of yours you've been friends with for 20 years and you're all gaming
0: you know what I, like, i've seen i've seen adventure league games i've i've no friends i haven't played them. i know friends who played chaos. them and quit them for reasons like that wow i've well, seen I, it happen. i, I, I yeah I can think of
2: two examples. Uh, one, from back in the day, my buddy's uh, brother started playing with us. He hadn't—he ex- was an older brother, and he hadn't gamed that much compared to us, experience-wise, but he picked on it really quick because he was older, and he played the Kender so well that it completely reshaped the game. He, uh, if you're not familiar with the Kender, Dragonlance. Dragon Lance. So he's playing an World adorable Pride. hobbit who is a kleptomaniac machine. He's like a shark. He just swims around, steals things, and forgets he stole them. And that completely took the whole campaign and stood it on its head. Like, my knight of Salamnia was about to be arrested by town guards because the hobbit, this this Kenders, like, he stole my longsword. And I'm like, that's my longsword. And he (laughs) doesn't remember stealing it.
1: Was it Tasselhoff Burfoot? No, his, no, it was uh, it wasn't related? to him, but it was he a was power. a cousin. Yeah, no, no,
2: yeah. He, he he was uh he was a full kender though, and I wouldn't say it was a problem thing, but that that role play certainly took a a, a really interesting, a very strong spin on the game, and also yeah. a problem one that is and is not was my one buddy, longtime DM friend of mine, very close. Plays chaotic neutral so well. I want to punch him in the face in real life. Like his character. <laughs> is insufferable. When he's playing chaotic neutral. Like oh my god. We're like okay. Here's what we're all doing. I remember this was in the game. Uh, it was a rifts game actually. And we're all like. We're all these evil guys working together. This wasn't the, the the monster campaign. But we're like. We we're, were like we're had mech pilots. And we're like trying to reach our goals. And get a Foothold in this new world, and he's off like doing shit behind our back and telling the bat- our enemies where we are and what we have, and then we killed him in game, and he was pissed and had no idea. Like he was like, "What? You killed me?" I'm like, "Dead as a doornail. You're dead." it's like that like campaign where your
1: problem. your guys all uh killed each other at uh, the
0: final like uh level. Not that one. Not that one no No, i know it's different we all agreed it was the best game ever (laughs) so guys we've gone on we've gone on for a while uh i think we need. let's let's i think it's time to wrap this up a little bit so let's get into uh so what are your final thoughts on problem good players problem players and what you can do about it as a dm who wants to start here Dave.
1: um i uh i i continue with my same thought is that uh sometimes good and problem can be uh mirror images of the same thing. So look into uh what is the person coming to the table for. Everyone wants something different out of role playing games. Um so they're not gonna like the same thing. So you know curate your your one your one-off adventure or your campaign to generally what's happening at your table and and move those levers. Uh, If you have serious problem players like uh, Tony and Thorne were talking about, um, good luck with that because, wow, that's uh, – Let us know. Yeah, I think you haven't run into into that level, uh, something that couldn't be handled with a conversation or two. So, um, yeah, yeah, good luck, you know. Hopefully these guys can help you out with that one.
2: Yeah, no, I've had players be angry in real life multiple times. That's absolutely happened. So um, I will say, appreciate your players that you have. That, like I said, they they come to they show up, they put the team colors on, and they're looking to play. And those are my favorite players in any universe, any system, hands down. Um, the problem ones are the ones that are really what uh, I the story deflectors. They're like, here's the story. Not having it. Nope. I'm sorry. So let's talk about this menu. Mutton, huh? Well, tell me about the mutton. I'm like, oh, my God, dude. Like We've been in town for two hours, and we're talking about mutton. And yet it continues. So beware of that. Uh, it, it's difficult to deal with. Sometimes you're going to face some really difficult calls between players. Um, do what you feel is what you believe to be the best solution It's the most uh, fair to all parties involved. Do not be afraid to get outside opinions from other peer DMs.
0: Thorne. So, you know, I guess for me, you know, my final thoughts on this is what you just said there at the end, Tony. It's, I really try uh, in in all things, and especially in gaming to be as fair as I possibly can to everyone. Um, so, you know, I want to empower the people who, who are joining the game. I want to try to make sure everyone has a good time. But when it comes down to these situations where a player has kind of some of these tricky issues where I don't like that what this other guy's doing and it's ruining my fun, I try to handle it flat fairly in the sense of you all have the equal opportunity. You need to deal with this in game or just let them, you know, you can't tell someone else what choices to make with their character. You have to live with it. Which is tough sometimes. And there are sometimes I've lost games I felt like were going well over issues like this. So maybe on top of that, the best piece of advice I can give you is wherever possible, try to spot these issues coming and head them off. So when we were talking earlier, we talked about the power gamer. And I mentioned, hey, I kind of have a strategy for dealing with power gamers. That sort of thing can be handy. So if you can spot that there's this iniquity coming, that there's kind of this this like this like unequal, when I say iniquity, I don't mean like evil. I mean like an unequal experience in the game. And you can kind of find a way around it, usually usually by throwing in what players want. You know, so if you can give a player something you know they'll want, you know they'll enjoy, that can sometimes, you know, really kind of kind of paste over some of these issues, which is really what we're trying to do anyway. Give everyone a game they're going to enjoy. So I guess, you know, that's my best uh, my best piece of advice there. Because that really is, you know, it's the trickiest thing when you run into these kind of personality conflicts. And, you know, you know, sometimes the issues people bring in from outside the game or they want to exercise some control inside the game. Um, it's a hard thing to DM. And it's one of the toughest things. Like Tony said, if you lose a game over that, it sucks. But hopefully, you know, you've heard us talk for the night. And we've given you some ideas on what you can do about it. Even if sometimes, well, you know what did they say on MythBusters? You know, a, a negative result is, is is still a result. <laughs> fail failure failure is always an option. Yes, you know, sometimes sometimes it doesn't work out. So grow a lot, water a
1: lot, kill a lot.
0: Yeah, bonsai. Bonsai. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think it's time we cut this episode short, guys. Thanks again for joining me. I had a great time tonight. All, All right, thank you. See you next time. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. We would love to hear the kind of issues you're having that we can help you with. So please stop by 3 or email us at 3 at gmail.com. Let us know, what one, what do you think of this episode? You know, Do you have any comments, any advice for us? Because clearly, me and Tony especially, we face some problems we don't even know how to deal with. And two... <laughs> how can we help you in the future? Let us know what we can cover. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to be able to give you advice you can use. Have a great time. We'll catch you next time with Three Wise DMs.